Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. OpenHob gets empty. Nortec buys Numera. Insurance companies jump into the smart home. Plus, Scout co-founder Dan Roberts on their company's involvement with the Alexa program from Amazon. And Kai Kreiser from OpenHob visits us and tells us a little bit about the IF channel that they just launched. All on this week's Smart Home Show. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. It's Mike Wolf here, your host. It's the day before the 4th of July as I'm recording this on a Friday. I think everyone's taken off for work, from work. Hopefully, I'm about to head out the door, head to the beach. But I wanted to publish this podcast before I do that. On today's show, we have a couple great conversations. We have a conversation with Dan Roberts, the CEO of Scout Alarm. You may have heard of their DIY smart alarm company, smart home alarm company, doing some really interesting things and doing fairly well out there in the marketplace. So we talked to him. About that, but also we catch up on the week's news with Dan. We we talk about a few stories, including OpenHob launching their IFT channel. We talk about Nortec by Numera, as well as this trend that we're seeing, and we, I've been observing for some time, is insurance companies jumping into the smart home game and, and giving their policyholders discounts for using smart home technology. So we talk about all that because there was a couple pieces of news this week about State Farm and AmFam uh, giving discounts. We also talked with Dan about them being involved in the Alexa program. We talked a little bit about it last week, Alexa unbundling itself from Echo, becoming a service and a technology that third parties can integrate uh, with. Amazon has also made uh, $100 million available, and they've actually invested in Scout. So we'll, we'll talk to Dan about that and kind of what the process was and how they've gone through that and how's, how it's going so far. And for the second half of the show, we check in with Kai Kreitzer, who is the guy who founded and created OpenHob, the open source smart home rules engine that he created about three years ago because he really didn't find anything out there to fit his needs. And he, he realized that he, he didn't want to necessarily rely on a company's smart home hub or some hub because, as we know, as we've seen in the smart home space, companies oftentimes go out of business. And he thought, why not create an open source smart home platform that you can implement on something like Raspberry Pi and just open it up, let other folks contribute, and that's what he's done, and they've done fairly well. And just this past week, they announced they've want there is a NIF channel for OpenHop. So we talk about that and just check in with Kai about what's going on with OpenHop more generally. So, all right, folks, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you want to find more Smart Home shows, you know where to go. Go to thesmarthomeshow.com. That takes you to technology.fm. You can go to technology.fm and check out all the podcasts there, or you can just find us in your favorite podcast spaces. If you want to do us a favor, check out the Smart Kitchen Summit, the first event on the intersection between technology, smart home, and food tech. Really the first event that's ever been created about that particular space. We're putting it on by Next Market. Just go to smartkitchensummit.com. Check it out, please, if you're at all interested in that space. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Here's my conversation with Dan Roberts of Scout. Hey, well, I'm happy to have Dan Roberts, co-founder of Scout, on today's Smart Home Show. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. People know you guys because of your Scout Alarm uh DIY Scout Alarm products. We'll, we're going to get in that. We're going to talk about how it's doing, and, and you can tell us all, everything about the product. But let's first discuss what's happening in the world of smart home. Um, I don't know if you know much about yeah. OpenHab. They're one of these open source smart home rules engines, which are, I think is pretty interesting. I think I, I get a lot of people emailing me to do more, DIY, I guess, open source smart home stuff. And I think this may actually kind of get that market moving even more in kind of the, uh, the direction with more momentum 
Um, they announced today that they've integrated with IFTTT IFT. There's an IFT channel for OpenHAB. Probably more yeah. familiar with IFT than you are with OpenHAB, though, because I think most people are. Right. Yeah. So we're uh, we're an IFT partner. So we do have a Scout channel on IFT. Um, you know, OpenHAB I, I wasn't as familiar with, but uh, you know, in reading up on it, um, I think there's a really interesting uh, thing that's happening just in general in the market, which is sort of this. Um, co-opetition is, is sort of how we look at it, but um, people that on some level are you know doing similar things and may you know overlap and, and compete in some way, but are are collaborating. I think it's really cool actually for for the industry to see that happening because it um, you know just helps end consumer and, and makes the user experience better. And I actually had a chance to talk with Kai Kreitzer, and we'll put him. Uh, we'll probably have that segment of the podcast later in the show. But Kai, uh, one of the things that, you know, he's the guy who really started this whole thing for OpenHAB as a hobby. And he really felt that, you know, one of the things he wanted to ensure was that, you know, there could be a smart home technology that exists in perpetuity that isn't, I guess, uh, lives or dies by the kind of the winds and storms that might impact a company if they get acquired. And so this is really, I mean, that's kind of the vision of open source, right? Um, where you're not necessarily relying on sure. uh, what happens with the company. And so... I, I think that's a valid approach. I think it's one that certainly certain consumers want to kind of not necessarily be tied to the, the fate of a particular company. So that's interesting. And I think by tying OpenHAB to if it's important because we, if you look at OpenHAB, it's a rules engine for the smart home. But if really brings services, and I think you'll you know what you see for your 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 own products. I mean, it does bring really great third party cloud based services to any sort of technology and allows you to do those mashups, right? So you can now connect with. Yeah. Um, if it's like an Amazon like a to-do list or whatever or, or or whatever, you can just bring all these different services and connect them. I think that's the true beauty of IFT in a, in a sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've made it you know super simple. Um, you know, we, we're not using OpenHAB, but you know, I'm going to check it out because um, it's made it super simple just to connect other things where you know we don't have to have our folks going and talking to every individual you know device uh, and application maker um, to connect up, but if it gives us that you know flexibility just to connect um, our channel to theirs uh, sort of seamlessly. So I imagine you know OpenHab's uh, very similar. And um, you know, to your point about open source, I, I think it's um, it's definitely something people want. I think the the concern is always you know you saw what happened with MakerBot. Um, to your point about sort of uh, a company maybe weathering a storm or or changing their outlook on open source, so um, it's pretty cool that OpenHab sort of committed to that and something that can you know last a long term. Well, even looking at the smart home, like if you bought a Revolve, um, which is a you know very hardware centric model, you know Revolve got bought by Google and they just said, well, we're shutting this down, folks. <laughs> so it's like uh, you're kind right. of yeah. you're kind of. It, <laughs> So that's what happens. That's just the life and startup plan. So, you know, one of the other stories I thought was interesting is, I don't know if you saw this news, but a big company that a lot of people don't know because they're behind the scenes, Nortec, um, they're the company that has uh, now owns 2GIG, the 2GIG panels, which a lot of people know about. Um, They're one of these companies that sends a lot of uh, Z-Wave devices in the market that ultimately end up uh, in in consumers' homes, but the consumer may not know it's Nortec. Sure. they bought a company called Numera. And this is actually, uh, if you don't know much about Numera, they're one of these companies that develops mobile and telehealth technology for aging in place and, mm-hmm. and allows you to kind of uh, allows people who are maybe in their the golden years and their families to allow them to kind of use technology to stay in the home longer. And I've been writing a lot about this market because I, I do think IoT and smart home in particular is just a, a sets the foundation for a lot of these 
potential services. And when you think about the demographics for the home or the demographics for the U.S. population and also other advanced advanced economies, they're seeing a lot more baby boomers enter their golden years, and we're going to need technology to help them manage that. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was a, you know it was a really interesting move when we've been uh, we've certainly looked at PERS in the past, and um, it makes perfect sense, right? Because you're thinking about security not just as intrusion, but, you know, overall monitoring of your family. And I think, um, especially for, as you mentioned, sort of baby boomers that, um, you know, maybe not at the point where they need monitoring, but they're looking to monitor, you know, their aging parents who may not be tech savvy enough to, to, you know, handle one of the new smart home systems, kind of the perfect solution for them because, you know, the system, um, like Scout is, is not terribly difficult for, um, you know, the average baby boomer with their smartphone to to manage. So that is a good move by Nortec. One of the things that um, I think is important, though, is if you look at you know traditional purge, you you see things like LifeLock, which I think is uh, just as dated as you know traditional uh, security is. So what'll be interesting to see is how far Nortec pushes the 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 customer and the user experience. Um, because if it's just another revenue channel for them, I don't think it's that interesting. I mean, PERS is a very profitable business. Um, but if they're pushing sort of the user experience and pushing that idea of sort of total family security, I think they can have something really interesting on their hands. Yeah, and it, for those of you who don't know what PERS is, it's I guess the best uh, one that everyone uses is everyone's seen the iPhone and I can't get up um, commercials. Yeah. So that's basically what it is. It's these, you know. Uh, alert systems for, to let people know that you're, you know, you may have fallen, you're hurt for for people who are living in their homes and need assistance. And so, um, I think Nortec is well aware that you know that is uh, while it's a cash cow, they need to update it. and they sell a lot of per systems. I think a lot of the purs you see in the market today are, are Nortec. So, one sure. of the rationalizations for this acquisition probably is to say, okay, we need to make this, you know, a more modern type of approach as as and IoT technology comes and, and becomes more mature. Let's tie it to that. But, you know, uh, I, I had a chance to talk to Dwayne Paulson, who heads up Nortec Security yesterday, and they really see this convergence where security and aging in place, and the, those kind of two spaces are coming together. And so kind of to your point, you you know, you were actually – you guys have been looking at PERS, and you're in security, so you already see that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of the perfect marriage, and it makes sense to us. And, um, you know, our – our customers, especially uh, you know, in the in the baby boomer um, generation, have, have sort of expressed an interest in, in wanting to monitor their their aging parents. So I, I think it's uh, the perfect combination. I think the trick is though, um, it has to be thoughtful because you know if you look at uh, folks who are in their eighties, in their seventies, um, people who are elderly, oftentimes they really resent technology and they don't want anything to do with technology, and so. Sure. How do you apply technology that's you know fairly advanced that wasn't around ten years ago mm-hmm. to help people uh, with with to have more independence to stay in place? People who may not like technology or want anything to do with the technology. So that's I think one of the kind of challenges for these companies bringing these new approaches. Yeah, I think it's up to the company, and and uh, I think that's why you'll see you know more people getting into it, but uh, being cautious about it because there's certainly. You know, privacy things, and just as you mentioned, um, if older adults are sort of resistant to the technology sort of being ever-present in their home. Um, but part of that is is on the company, right, to message uh, to the buyer, whether that's their, you know, uh, older children that are purchasing it, 
um, to to help them tell that story and, and reinforce that this isn't about you know invading privacy or or sort of uh, being ever present watching every move, but it's more about hey we care about you like we want to know that you know you're up and moving and um, that everything's okay and it brings us peace of mind so. You know, it's a lot about the story and and educating you know the consumer because I think that is a big conversation that a family needs to have. You know, you know another interesting trend that I'm sure you've been watching uh, is this idea that insurance companies are going to be an important, I guess, player in the evolution and rolling out of the smart home. And you know, I've been writing about about that for a while because you know it really kind of uh, hit home with me because I, in 2013 our house flooded, and if I just had a a, a, a moisture sensor. You know, a $10 Z-Wave moisture sensor on the ground, um, I could have avoided – or at least my insurance company could have avoided probably $30,000 in damages because that's ultimately what the, the, the tab was. And so I think you know these insurance companies <laughs> yeah. re- really realize that there's an advantage yeah. to using advanced IoT and smart home technology to help them avoid costly payouts. And so this past week, there was an announcement by American Family Insurance that they're actually going to be giving consumers a 5% discount. Uh, for using the technologies. And just like a day later, I got an email from the folks at Canary. Um, and so state that State Farm had actually announced a, a program, um, a partner program. So if you use sure. a, a variety of different products, be it Canary or the Lowe's Iris technology um, or ADT Pulse, you can get up to a 10% discount on your, your State Farm premium. So I think... You know, there's been a lot of kind of gloom and doom around smart home in the past couple of weeks, but I think what a lot of people people don't realize is there's going to be a lot of uh, drivers beyond just whether or not consumers today can go and and are finding DIY technology for the smart home at, at retail that they're that appeals to them. If they can yeah. get a ten percent discount by employing these technologies, that's going to be a real market driver. Absolutely. I mean, you know, anything you know. These systems, albeit you know, we're bringing, uh, and I say we collectively as sort of a smart home companies, we're trying to bring the prices down as much as possible. But you know, it's still a fairly big ticket item if if you're looking to do you know not just security but lock management and video monitoring and all of these things. Um, you have a pretty big price tag for the average consumer, so anything that you can uh, help them with in terms of cost, whether that's subsidizing it right um, through, through a partner or whether that's offering a discount, anything that helps uh, lower that barrier for folks. Cause I think, you know, people want the technology. So sometimes it's hard to reach into your pocketbook and, and put up, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars for a smart home setup. And, um, you know, I see the discounts as just sort of a, a starting point, and you'll see, you know, sort of what you get with ADT versus Canary and Los Iris, um, where um, some of them may move the needle more than others uh, for the end consumer. But what I see down the road is um, we can be much more sophisticated as opposed to just sort of a blanket discount for owning the equipment. Um, you can actually get to a point where uh, the risk mitigation, right, by you having a system on or off for a certain percentage of the time of the month is worth something to, to the uh, insurance provider. So I actually see it becoming a lot more dynamic, right, where we can dynamically price that insurance based on usage. I think that's when it gets really interesting. Now, that's a great point. I mean, you know, we've all had the, the technology we bought, and then it, it's used maybe for the first couple of weeks and then like it just gathers right. dust. And like where wearables has kind of been the poster child for that, right? I mean, everyone kind of bought their first fitness tracker and half of them are now sitting kind of in, 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 in their drawer somewhere. But I right. think if the, th- the thing about connected devices is you can actually monitor usage. And so if, 
you have like a, a system installed and it's actually actively being used, I think that's a great point that actually get a greater discount based on how much you use it and how much you use it correctly. Yeah, and there's even for the customer in terms of uh, you know you would anonymize this data clearly, but if they could benchmark themselves, right? Like if I knew uh, versus my area code, you know how often I arm my system versus others. There's a motivating factor there, right? Like you get a sense, just like energy reports, they compare you to your neighbors. Oh, I'm I'm using way more energy than my neighbors. Um, I should probably rein that in. Um, you know, there's there's a a feedback loop there that I think is important and uh, over the long term will be valuable to both insurance companies and the yeah, consumer. Well, Dan, one of the things I want to do is make sure I talk a little bit about some of the news that came out in the last couple of weeks that actually is tied to you guys. Um, I believe you guys were one of the companies that it was announced you'll be working with uh, Amazon's Alexa technology yep, to absolutely. integrate it with the Scott Arm. So I want to hear about that. So tell me what you can about, okay, um, we, you know, they approached you or how you heard about it and how that's been going. Yeah, I can tell you, yeah, a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, so, you know, Amazon um, reached out to us during sort of the, the preview period for the Echo, uh, you know, an Alexa product. And, um, you know, we had a conversation around, you know, what we thought about voice control for home security. And we were obviously, you know, very excited about it because, in um, in our eyes, it's it's removing a barrier, right? So you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket, navigate to an app, um, and even though that's a low friction point, I think voice control even removes that barrier even more. And so, from a user experience point of view, we were very excited about the idea of voice control and being able to control Scout with just you know talking to your Echo um, Alexa powered device, and so that. That conversation evolved, and um, as we thought about the integration, you know, what we're allowing people to do is, is sort of control Scout, uh, you know, through their Alexa, so arming, disarming. Uh, you can ask it questions about recent activity. Um, so really powerful, you know, if you're just walking out the door and and are just saying, hey, you know, Alexa, arm, arm Scout. And uh, as we as we discussed it further, you know, it was announced that you know the Echo Fund also made an investment in Scout. I think it's just pointing to um, Amazon's moves in, in the smart home market. I think they've been very thoughtful about how they want to approach it and what sort of the you know the core device needs to be or the core functionality um, for the user experience. And um, folks that see that vision and, and sort of want to be a part of it. Um, you know, you're invited to sort of talk further about the Alexa fund or the Echo fund, sorry. And um, we had that conversation and ended up, um, you know, bringing them on as an investor as well. So the $100 million fund, I think it has been called the Alexa fund to kind of seed um, activity around integration of Alexa that I thought was unbundled from Echo. So talk a little bit. So I just kind of want to understand um, they've had, you've had an investment from them that came mm -hmm. out of the $100 million fund to, to basically as part of the company, but also to ensure that you are integrating Alexa into your products? Yeah, I mean, it's supporting, you know, they know that there's um, effort not only to integrate uh, the technologies, but um, also to to market it, right, and get the word out. And so uh, for early stage companies that may have, you know, limited resources, as any early stage company does, um, to the extent that they can, you know, help that integration along and also, um you know, make sure that their ecosystem partners are uh, are there for the long term. I think that's 
that's sort of the context of the uh, investment. Certainly, there's an upside, I think, um, investing across early-stage companies that are at sort of the forefront of, of uh, the smart home and, and connected devices game where um, you know, they'll have sort of uh, multiple motives there for, for wanting to be involved. So I think it's a, just a, it's a win-win for both, both sides. And do you see it as like uh, they're basically kind of a like a corporate venture capital fund where they would be investing like in your series? Are you kind of treating it as like a Series A or Series B? Um, we haven't uh, necessarily called it our, you know a Series A, and we haven't okay. really disclosed how much they they invested either. Okay, um, nor can we. But um, you know, I think that as we progress here, I think we're in the early days of what. Not only what Alexa can do, right? You mentioned that you know Echo's, Echo is sort of a very specific implementation of of uh, Alexa, and as they unbundle it, you know things are going to get really interesting for um, device makers. Um, and so, I think as that progresses, as they unveil sort of new features, um, you know the the fund is there to uh, continue supporting those companies that they see uh, succeeding, you know, in the, in the ecosystem. So. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty bullish on, on, uh, the Echo product, the Alexa platform and, and, you know, that partnership with, with Amazon over the long term. And just to understand the first stage of what you guys see implemented, it's connecting to the scout arm through the Echo, not necessarily integrating Alexa into independent of the, the Echo, um, at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, Echo is really a, you know, highly specced, uh, you know, uh, Example of what Alexa can do, right? And they've already announced in the press that you know they're going to unbundle this. Um, but I think Echo is showing the capabilities, and and even if it weren't just a highly spec device, it's it's a great device um, to have. I've had one um, here at the office and in my house. Um, really fun to interact with, and and you know, very cool technology. So, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, we, we're starting out with a very simple integration where it's, you know, controlling Scout through Alexa voice control. But um, with Echo. As, as companies start, yeah, with Echo. Yep. Sure. And then as as uh, as we know more about, you know, the unbundling and, and what would be involved from our side for, you know, the hardware, the bomb costs, all that stuff, um, we'll make a decision on how to proceed on that front. Let's talk a little bit about the Scout Alarm products. You guys did a, a, a crowdfunding campaign. You guys did it independently, um, much like Walkertron. I think you guys started with some of the uh, cameras technology at Walkertron, but you guys evolved that pretty quickly to raise. How much did you raise over time? Yeah, so we pre-sold about um, $200,000 worth of devices in the first 30 days. Um, we'd set a, a pretty ambitious goal. We'd set a $180,000 goal, which you don't see much anymore. So we were pretty ambitious. Uh, and then because we were independent, we were able to keep the pre-orders open until we shipped products. So um, we shipped this past September, and at that time we had about uh, half a million dollars in, in pre-orders for Scout. And right now, um, you've been shipping to to non-backers for a while now, and you can find it both through the Scout website as well as on Amazon. Are those the two main places? Yep, absolutely correct. And how are things going? I mean, in terms of like, are you seeing lots of traction? I mean, t- what is the and what is the typical configuration that people are buying? Yeah, yeah, we're seeing a lot of traction. Our biggest, our biggest uh, uh, thing that keeps us up in, at night is is you know uh, not having enough inventory to support demand. So things are going very well. 
Um, you know, we actually did earlier in the year sort of gap out of inventory for about a month. So we're just trying to keep up with demand. Um, and what was the second part of your question, Michael? Well, when I look at uh, your website, for example, it's, it looks like it's broken out in individual individual pieces. A lot of times when I see DIY security, it's, it's put together in like a package, like kind of here's right. the, here's the apartment package or the starter package. So do you guys offer that or do people ha- have a typical configuration? Yeah, I mean, we see an average kit, uh, you know, across all of the orders. Um, we've, you know, we've we've shipped uh, thousands of systems at this point, so we do see our average kit being, you know, one hub, one door panel for the front door, two motion sensors, and three access sensors, and that's going to protect your average, you know, two three bedroom home. Um, and uh, but but in the way that we do the ordering online is we don't force people into a kit, so we actually have. Uh, three different colors, and you can order the, the sensors in any combination that you want. And the thought there is that we we aren't trying to force people to buy more or less you know, than they need. And so we really try to understand the needs in their home and customize that kit for them because um, you know, if you have large pets and we send you two motion sensors, it's going to be of no use to you. Like I have a Great Dane. Um, they would just be, you know, $100 worth of equipment that, that goes unused. So we really want to be thoughtful about the user experience and um, how people are able to customize, even if it introduces some complexity on the operations side. And it's interesting because you guys are a true DIY, self-install, um, but you guys offer monitoring. So I'd be interested to hear how many people actually take you up on um, your monitoring. And you have two monitoring plans. You, I think you have like a, a cellular kind of plan as well as like one that actually calls on a professional monitoring. Yeah. Yes, we have those two plans. So cellular backup, you're still, you know, self-monitoring in the sense that, uh, you know, the police aren't responding. But in the event that your internet goes out, power goes out, you're still going to have that um, that communication line. Um, so you're still going to get the notifications. Um, that's $9.99 a month. And then the professional monitoring is $19.99 a month. You know, still about you know a third of what you're going to pay through traditional guys. Um, that's going to actually include uh, the police dispatch, so we can dispatch police in the same way that, that the traditional systems do. Um, I can't speak to like uh, specific attach rates, but um, you know, we're doing, doing very well in terms of uh, having people buy the monitoring. I think what's interesting is that um, people can choose. It's all month to month. So if you're a snowbird or um, you know, you're going on vacation for a month and you want to ramp it up, ramp it down, um, you're totally able to do that. And I think it's, it's a powerful thing for the customer, and, and that's where we're seeing a lot of people that want that flexibility uh, coming on board for, for the monitoring piece. Where can people find out more about you guys? Just go to scoutalarm.com? Yeah, absolutely. Scoutalarm.com. Check us out on Amazon as well. Um, we've got you know uh, over 150 reviews on Amazon, so you get a pretty good sense of, of uh, how people are you know, viewing the system. Hey, Dan, thanks for spending time with me today. Absolutely, Michael. Thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, I hope to talk soon. And now for a message from our sponsor. This week's podcast is brought to you by Soundwall, a company which makes connected canvases that make great sound. For those of you who have heard the earlier parts of this series, you may have recognized the voice of CEO Aaron Cohen. Aaron, people may recognize your voice. Did you appear on a previous episode of The Smart Home Show? Well, Mike, Without the Smart Home Show, I think it's fair to say that there would be no sound wall in its current incarnation because uh, our our friendship began in smart home therapy, which is a term that we collectively coined. So you joined me on the couch for smart home therapy, and I turned your life around by going into a smart home startup, into the smart home startup world? 
I, I think that I would say the therapy was so traumatic in its own right. <laughs> the pro- and why well, I guess I should say the process was traumatic and the therapy did not help. Uh, so I decided why not try and run my own Internet of Things company. You actually come from the startup world. You took a little hiatus into, into academia and then you, I convinced I you to go back. I did. But, you know, I, I, I will say that I what's been really gratifying about being in the world uh, in the Internet of Things world is we we're a company that has found that the less feature creep you have and the more, you know, weeks that go by, you can really make a good product. Soundwall, making good products at the intersection of art, technology and sound. Check them out at soundwall.com. If you want to buy one, CEO Aaron Cohen has assured a 90 day money back guarantee as well as a hundred dollars off if you email him personally at aaron at soundwall.com that's a-a-r-o-n at soundwall.com once again check them out let them know the mic sent you and now back to the show hey i'm happy to have kai kreitzer on the line kai did i say your last name right absolutely <laughs> well i was worried i was going to butcher it um and you are with uh, OpenHob. I'll let you describe what it is, um, and then we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit into the news that was announced today, the OpenHob integration with IFTTT. But I'd like to first give an introduction to um, OpenHob to the listeners so they can better acquaint themselves. So, wh- how would you describe it? It's an, a smart home open source project. Okay. And I've actually started this project by now five years ago already for my personal needs uh, that I had at my home. And um, the, the main focus of OpenHub is to be an integration point at your home itself and to, to be a software that can really integrate all the different technologies that are out there, have a unified user interface on top of that, have overarching uh, rules for your home, and uh, yeah, to really be completely vendor independent and thus very future proof because one of my main goals was to use that software for the next decades. So let's uh, look a little bit under the hood and, and get maybe a little bit nerdy on the specifics on the technology. It's fully open source. It's based on Java. Um, and I believe it's also based on, uh, or at least plugs into OSGI, which is also Java centric. So I'm pretty familiar with OSGI having done a lot of looking at that from the home networking world, which, you know, it sprung up, I think in 2000, 2001. Um, but talk a little bit about kind of the underlying technology. Yeah. So, right. It's fully based on Java. It's using OSGI for the modularity because it's really done in a fashion that every user can pick and choose more or less the modules that he would like because everybody has different devices at home. He wants to integrate different things. And uh, so OpenHub is designed in a very modular fashion and OSGI is a great technology to allow that. And, um, well, all, all you require is more or less some small server that you're running at home 24 by 7. Many people use a Raspberry Pi uh, where you just have a JVM running on top of that. And uh, that's more or less it. So you can basically do an open source uh, smart home hub on top of Raspberry Pi as your hardware using OpenHob as the rules engine and then plug into a, a, a variety of different connected devices. I see you have Ecobee integration, a lot of different integrations. So is, is that an accurate description of how people can use it? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's more or less a uh, DIY uh, smart home hub. I mean, so if you were compared to some of the more closed ecosystems, I mean, it's comparable to like uh, someone who were going to go through the commercial DIY market. They might buy a smart things or they might buy uh, an Insteon hub. But if they wanted to go completely open source, yours is a good alternative. But they want to kind of truly roll their own or build their own, if you will. Yeah, the, the real problem with the commercial offers is that uh, you can't really rely that they will exist for the next decades. So if you see what's happening on the smart home landscape, like uh, Ninja Blocks uh, now disappeared, Revolve uh, has closed down, um, on Wink there are also rumors that, that might not be continued. So whatever commercial offer you're using as a, uh, as a customer, um, you, you have the risk that yeah, all of a sudden uh, you don't get any support, you don't get any new integration for other hardware anymore. And I think that's the uh, main differentiator of OpenHub really being just a piece of software that is not owned by anybody specifically and where the community behind this project can really uh, run it on the long term and guarantee its existence. It's you and a couple other folks who are running this basically in your spare time, because like you said, it's not a company, it's really been a project. So talk about the, what's a little, tell us a couple minutes, you know, what is the origin story of open hub? How did how to come together? Yeah. Well, as I said, I, I started it uh, for my own purposes. So completely on my own for the very first initial code base. And uh, after a while, as I started it open source, I, uh, since I was always yeah, an open source fan and thought, okay, if I'm spending all that time on that project, I can just share it with, uh, with others and hope that I get contributions back uh, to the project as well. So after a while, I've, I found a few other people being interested, uh, contributing. And by now, after five years, we're really a team of uh, three people taking care of really the core maintenance. That's besides myself, uh, Thomas Eichstätt-Engelen, also from Germany, and uh, Victor Belo. And... Um, Victor is actually the guy who does all the stuff apart from the uh, software that is running on the hub itself. So OpenHub also brings uh, native applications for iOS and Android to you know, have the user interface on the smartphones. And it also brings a cloud service called MyOpenHub, which is more or less the yeah, necessary part uh, to do remote access on your system at home. And uh, that's a service that uh, he mainly takes care about and um, that he maintains there. And that's also then the our integration point for the IFTTT, the IFT integration. So as I said, the, these three guys, the three of us are the core team, more or less maintaining the project. But uh, besides that, there are many, many very uh, eager community members helping out on support, doing developments. And I think we, we have a base of a couple of hundred really active developers on the project. I want to ask you how you would advise people to get started with OpenHob if they want to you know, integrate it in their own household. But first, let's talk about the IPTT news today. You guys announced that you have... Uh, there is an OpenHob channel, um, and you know one of the things about OpenHob is you guys do integrate with you know hundreds of different devices out there. So this could be really interesting, I think, as you start to try and do mashups and pair different services. So 
talk a little bit about how this came together and what this means for the OpenHub community. Sure. So OpenHub has the focus on the integration usually locally in your home. So we're trying wherever possible to connect to the devices on your LAN, not through cloud services. And uh, thus we have around 100, 150 different technologies that you can reach that way. And, um, well, if this is really a very good, um, yeah, addition to that, because if actually only uh, looks at web services and uh, information and functionality that is available on the web to easily integrate that. And so by bringing these two pieces together, you can now really realize um, rules that yeah, work on your local devices at home and they're not only for one specific uh, kind of manufacturer, like you have that for other if channels, like well for Philips U, for Vimo and so on, you have all the different channels. But through the Open Hub if channel, you have really the possibility to use this one channel with if to have all the web services on the one side and having all the open hub integration bindings on the other side. And so that really gives you a wide variety of uh, automation options. It's a, it's very complimentary basically because it brings to open hub a lot of the, the cloud services, as you said at the beginning of the response uh, and, and allows you to connect to all the different devices in the home because that's really kind of the focus of open hub. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone wanted to get started with OpenHub, if you know, they, they maybe dabbled in Smartom or even just starting, how would you recommend they, they get started? Well, it's uh, fairly easy to get started. Uh, we offer a download, which is really a simple zip file, which you have to extract. And uh, as OpenHub is based on Java, you can run it on a Windows machine, on Mac, on Linux, uh, wherever you like, um, just to do your first steps. And, um, well, starting it up, it all comes with a demo setup uh, where you have more or less defined user interfaces, uh, some example integration with some yeah, services like Yahoo Weather Data to, to get something from there. And um, you can start uh, playing on that uh, demo installation that we offer there. And then there's, well, obviously a lot of documentation on the web and um, and for all the different bindings, so that will be very specific to every user. Uh, you have a documentation on our wiki to uh, see how you need to configure it, what kind of functionality it offers, and how you get things working. And they can go to openhub, openhab.org to get started. That's where they can find you on the web, openhab.org. That's the website, exactly. Hey, Kai Kreitzer, thanks for joining me and talking a little bit about the news. And we'll have you back for like a more in-depth conversation later. But I know I caught you at the end of your day in Germany. So thanks for uh, spending some time and talking a little bit about the news today. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for coming on the show with me, Kai. I appreciate it. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Kai Kreitzer on the Smart Home Show, hearing a little bit about what they're doing there. I think if you haven't uh, tried OpenHob, if you're looking for a Smart Home platform that you want to implement, without having to rely on a specific vendor's hardware hub, they may be a good way to go. Now that they have integrated IFT, it may uh, be the best time to go because now you can access a lot of great third-party services that you may have not had access to before through your smart home. So check them out. As always, thanks for listening. Listen to more smart home shows at technology.fm.
If you want to get my weekly newsletter, go to smarthomeweekly.net and you can subscribe to it there. All right, folks, thanks for listening. I'm going on vacation next week, so I may get a Smart Home Show out. I have uh, one or two conversations recorded. Uh, but if I don't, uh, you'll definitely have me back in a couple weeks. But check back just in case uh, next weekend. All right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.